Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Of this episode of With Gorley and Rust, it's mine and the shining. We've tried twice. Yeah. We've, we've failed, but this one has the smell of success. I think so. And who knows? This could wind up like so, sort of like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. What if we did 20, uh, 26 to 65 takes of burned this opening? Them. Just burned them. Yeah. And it was because, you know... We didn't memorize our lines, so we kind of sh- showed up mm-hmm. half knowing them. For those of you who don't know, or listening to With Gorley and Rust for the first time, we usually write all of these out, mm-hmm. tra- pre-transcribe them is mm-hmm. what we call. <laughs> we memorize it verbatim, and then almost, uh, uh, that's when your Shakespearean training really comes. For e- every syllable you have memorized... Absolutely. And then once we lock that in, we do some full takes of the entire episode that are a little looser once we got the script one done. The script done, not yeah. the script one done. Just so you know, that's what that was in the original pre-transcription. You're right. Let's start again. Matt, have you heard stories that dorks go to the, uh, play, go to the see Shakespearean plays and they have a book open to check the text to make sure the the actors are doing it right. Yeah, I have, and it, that's absurd. I've seen, <gasps> I've been on stage and I've seen that kind of. You thing. have? Yes, I have. I mean, there was nothing more to report than that. But but do you go? That's more annoying than somebody looking at their goddamn phone. Is Absolutely. what I would say up from stage. There are those academic purists that treat Shakespeare's text like. Christians treat the Bible, not understanding that it's you know it's meant to be heard and seen, not. Felt red and and Hamlet himself, you know, chopped up. I mean, sorry, Shakespeare himself chopped up Hamlet, depending on who was playing Hamlet, to justify his age. 
interesting. What's like so? What sort of revisions would they do? Like, well, I'll tell you, Paul, and I know that this is why people have come to this episode on Doctor Sleep is to hear about the history of Richard Burbage playing Hamlet. Let me guess. There's there used to be a lot of soliloquies that were based on. No, my pubes have not groweth in yeteth. What be these liver spots upon an 18-year-old dame? <laughs> yeah, what adaptations do they do? And I think this will um, slowly back us into Dr. Sleep, which is a revision of sorts of previous material. Good point. To fix with age stuff. Yeah. Yes. Well, Hamlet was written about, let's say, you know, an 18-year-old-ish Danish mm-hmm. young man. But the leading actor of Shakespeare's time, Richard Burbage, was middle-aged for the time. So there's text in there to make sense of how he ages throughout. Oh, what do they do? They're like, he has a case of Jack's disease <laughs> that was suffered by Robin Williams, who played the grave digger. <laughs> what if these this is insane? I'm sorry. Yeah, the Pranas. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's, right. That's how they justify plays, mentioning Jack's disease. Does he play him or does he play Osric? Ooh. I we're like eight tabs deep. Trust us, we're gonna get it. No, it's it good. Is. It's good. Anyway, the point is, you you're meant to chop up that depending on which version you yourself are doing. You mm-hmm. you have those options. So, you know, also Shakespeare was kind of like the Saturday Night Live of its time. It was fluent. It was it was. There are different versions of different scripts. You can play with it. You I like damn that. nerds. <laughs> I like that idea of that. Uh, as you know, people see SNL on their TV Saturday mm-hmm. nights, some junior high kid. Then three months later, hey, I got to do a talent show. Why not do Hans and Franz? Absolutely. I, uh, I got to do a pep assembly. Why not Wayne's World? Absolutely. I can do it. The people know it. People just automatically love any sort of in real life recreation of a thing they yep. love. Uh, so the fact that the equivalent would be like... Everybody knows what we're doing, but like, oh, at the pep assembly, they're doing like 12th night. <laughs> you know, it's going to age really well. This preamble discussion when we ultimately talk about how people shouldn't fuck with Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did think about that, like in terms of like what is considered text. Mm-hmm. And w- that notion did pass my mind of like, are we the people in the front seat holding the text? I wonder, that's a good question, because you're dealing not only with the literal text of Stephen King, mm. but but the sub or even lack of subtext of Stanley Kubrick's film version. This yeah. is with Gorley and Rust. These are the tough questions we're going to be answering today definitively and for the rest of time. I'm Matt Gorley. Uh, and I'm Paul Rust. I'm so uh, excited to be here, Matt, talking about Dr. Sleep with you on this final episode of Mining the Shiny, along with our uh, live screamers over here. Hey, everybody, who we were chatting with before uh, recorded. You can, we, uh, yeah. you can live scream yourself. Simply by going to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and subscribing at the baby xenomorph level. Mm-hmm. You can watch these recordings being being happened. Yeah. You can also get your name read out if you're a baby xenomorph, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll do later in this episode. You can also do a little uh, view of our vidbits. I saw a startling vidbit of you, Matt, on our Patreon oh, yeah. uh, a few days ago. I'm still breathless. Yeah. I visited 
the Strode House from Halloween. Now, it's it's well known. And that's the Lori Strode House, yeah. right? Not this kind of, re, you know, fine print. Oh, it's the Corey Strode House. No, but I would have gone to that, to be me fair, too. too. I mean, sign me up. You go to South Pasadena, you're in movie heaven. You've mm. got the Strode House from Halloween. You've got the Myers House itself. You've mm. got the Mama's Family House. You've got Pee Wee Herman's House. You got it all. Got it all. Nearby. Back to the Future. Yes, you said that. Yeah. 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 You, you've got the Indiana Jones House from King of the Crystal Skull, admittedly. Mm. You've got the Clue House. You've got uh, Wayne Manor. Richard uh, 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 or, or Martin Mole's house from Mr. Mom. That's right. That's a you lot got, of M's there. Martin yeah. Mole's Mr. Mom mansion. <laughs> Mr. Mole. You've got Father of the Bride house. Ooh. But, uh, so I went to the Strode house, which is very welcoming to fans. Nice. Due to its current and now former occupants, because they were renting and they're leaving. The so house is being change. sold. I didn't realize this that the interiors of the Strode house were filmed at a different house. And thanks to a trustee who posted an article on this video posting that I did, we learned that the Strode interiors are the same as the Nightmare on Elm Street interiors. The same house, interior-wise. Holy shit. But that is patently obvious when you enter the Strode house, because it is the craziest fucking place I've ever been in. Well... Two things. That's amazing. Uh, the I was looking through pictures on its real estate thing, looking for the bedroom that I thought was Lori's bedroom. I was that in would, that house, looking for that bedroom. Yeah, uh, and so that answers that question. Um, and then, uh, well, go on, go on. What were you saying? Well, I I just got in there, and I I knew from a friend who had told me that this happened. They live right. A, Across the street. In fact, you can see their little duplex in the movie. Shout out to Marie and Craig oh, cool. in Halloween. Cool. Um, they said that this thing was going up for sale and that he was going to try to get me in because he'd become friendly with the owners. But then the opened house happened. I had my phone out looking at Laurie Strode's bedroom, trying to match mm-hmm. the room. You can't do it because, and I thought it was just because they have bisected and remodeled the interior of that house into oblivion. The house itself is has three kitchens and it's obviously meant to be different units, but they're not, that's what I was going to say. Closed off from that was the other. second thing. The layout looks so baffling. Cause uh, when you just stand outside, cause the garage is kind of behind the house. So it, it was originally what, what, what went on? Why originally three one house. And then they added an extra unit above the garage, but then also bisected the house into two units. But like I said, these these units are not locked off from each other. So it's kind of like you would have three close-knit families and then there's oh. no like really big, there's no obvious living room. You go into the front door and there is like a small living room, but then immediately there's two cordoned off areas with like craftsman built-in features that are meant to be room dividers, but they have no door. Whoa. It's it's really strange. And the kitchens are all small and odd. And, and it's honestly, it smelled a bit like urine. Oh, because of um, the terror of people going into the Myers, in the, the Strode house. That's They're like, <gasps> I'm reminded of the experience of Lori. Yeah. Well, they piss I, their I pants. I hate to think of Lori Strode living in that house. I'm a little sad to hear it smelled like urine, I'll admit. <laughs> um, I, I, 
like to imagine though that is the inside of the Strode house, and it helps explain why like Lori just she's not entirely comfortable around other people, and so she kind of grew up in a fun house. Yeah, and also that the dad is such a weirdo in the first Halloween. Remember, he's like comes out, he's like dropped out of the beep 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 beep. See ya. Like, yeah, that's the attitude of a guy who has three kitchens in his house. The fucking weirdo, weirdo, and that's why she wants to wait outside to get picked up because the less time spent smelling urine the better. Oh, Lori totally seems like the kid who's like, as much time as I can spend outside of the house, I will. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, that's the Strode house. It's awesome to see from the outside. No need to go inside. The video I saw of you looking out the window, sheer terror. I was trapped. I, was it an homage to the end of uh, Halloween Kills when the, she's standing outside the window? Looking. No, it was just the, me experiencing the ammonia vapors of urine. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, ammonia vapors of urine, does that... Uh, do you want to start talking about Dr. Sleep? Yeah. I'm kidding. I do. Well, there's a little bit more n- news to happen here, first of all. Um, I want to talk about how you've been selling and making wonderful collages. I've seen hey. these on, uh, on Instagram. Thanks buddy. You've really come up with some wonderful little pieces. There. Thanks dude. You're welcome. That's nice and of you to say. I was happy to see that you started selling them, but it sold out Im- immediately, right? Yes. I, I just took a little dip and I made, uh, four, four prints of one collage, not four different collages, just right. four prints. And, uh, Yes, I sold them, uh, but I maybe I'll do prints or sell more collage work in the future. You should. I guess if people wanted to check it out, it is uh, lesleyandpaulstore.etsy.com. Oh, L-E-S-L-E-Y-A-N-D-P-A-U-L. Uh, check it out. Yeah. Good work. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Like I said, we'll read the Xenos at the end of this episode. You can subscribe on Patreon. You can get feature-length film commentaries. We're about to do the Cozy Awards for this mm-hmm. year. Next month, we're going to do uh, a simultaneous commentary to both cuts of Halloween. Spectacular. <laughs> great time to become a new awesome. listener. Um, and Ma- then at, at the end of this episode, yep. we're going to list our yes. selections for the Nightmares Yuppie Nightmare Season 2. That's right. And Xenomorph names, huh? Baby Xenomorph. That's right. I was going to say, uh, I'd be remiss if we're talking about online artwork. People should check out the Friday the 13th stunt show uh, poster that you made. I know we oh, talked about you. it last week, yeah. but hey, let's sing it again from the from the top, the top rafters. Well, you can get it at <laughs> MattGorley.com as well as on Jigsaw Puzzles and Coffee Mugs. So whatever, if you want to wake up in the morning, hang up a picture do a jigsaw puzzle and drink some coffee all to the tune of a Friday the 13th stunt spectacular. This is about the only place you're going to be able to I do think it. it's a perfect uh, October birthday gift mm. or Halloween gift or for that Friday the 13th fan. I love it. A Jason fan. Oh. Ma- people who are maniacs <laughs> for a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we talk about Dr. Sleep, a movie we've seen the director cut of in the past, but chose to watch the theatrical cut. Yes, let's make that clear. Yeah. Right now. Let's make that clear. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Uh, yes, we realized, um, oh, the director's cut was only 
available, seemingly streaming for purchase, and it seemed like it was much easier to watch the non-director's cut. Part of that being that the director's cut is three hours long. Yes. And we figured we had seen the director's cut, and that was confirmed when I watched the theatrical cut. Same. And then afterwards, people should check out if they're interested in this difference between director's cut and theatrical cuts. Dead Meat on YouTube. We also watched the Dead Meat, and I don't think I gave credit where credit's due, and it broke my heart for Dead Meat. He helped lay out a lot of the scream deaths, Mm. too. So people should check out that channel. It's really, really good. And he lays out the differences. And when I saw the differences, I was like, there's a scene uh, where Danny talks to Jack in the red bathroom. bathroom, And I was like, oh, I definitely saw that scene. So I know I at one point watched the director's I read up on the differences myself and Mm -hmm. I remembered seeing them. And I think it's safe to say that we're going to be measured in our response to this movie. And that's part of why having seen the director's cut, I think both and I, Paul and I are kind of lukewarm on this movie felt like we wanted to see a little bit more of a tighter version just to see if that maybe well, helped for yeah, our, our tastes. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, just so for, if people don't know, it seems as if the fans of the doctor sleep uh-huh. like prefer the director's cut. So it's good to know that we have seen that, alternate cut and uh, have our feelings intact about each one. Um, But yeah, I guess as we talk about Dr. Sleep, I was thinking like, how can I stay? Um, Not in like, oh, geez, but like, oh, I want to stay positive and talk about the stuff I like Mm -hmm. because I don't want to go down too far of a path of the stuff I don't like. Uh, so I don't know if it's like, as we go along, I go, Hey, but I did like this. Or maybe we just kick things off with some, what I liked about Dr. Sleep. That How sounds about that? good. And I can start even before this movie is made, uh, the director, Mike Flanagan, Mike Flanagan. I really, really loved the house on haunt, haunt or the, yeah, the, yeah, the uh, haunting on Hill house. Yes. The haunting on house Hill, the house on haunting Hill. Pick your pick your poison. The haunt the the haunting of King of the Hill. Oh, Bobby, I got spiders all over me. That's Henry Hill getting haunted. And don't mistake my not knowing the title for me not liking it. That's the title's fault, not mine. <laughs> uh, I really loved that show, and I think you can feel elements of it in this. Well, particularly Henry Thomas, but. Um, and Brantley Palmer's notes, uh, Brantley Palmer, who always writes amazing yeah. research, he let us know that Brantley, uh, Brantley told us uh, in his notes that Mike Flanagan was working on that TV series. And in the commentary for Dr. Sleep, he said it was his hardest, most difficult working experience. Yeah, and he doesn't say why. Yeah. Hmm. So Dr. Sleep was, I know, interesting, but that Dr. Sleep was a respite. So. Uh, to to be able to go off and write that. Yeah. So you saw, I didn't see the series, but when you were watching it, you weren't like, this seems like a troubled production. This seems like it was difficult for the director. You I, just loved it. I loved it. It has one of the greatest jump scares. It's Ooh. got uh, an episode that's kind of shot like a teleplay. Mm. It really, really works. And I have to say, watching this after makes me think, I'm sorry to hear that was a troubled production because I felt like the TV series is really suited for this director where Mm -hmm. this movie felt 
this movie felt to me a bit like somewhere between premium cable and network television, like, like AMC or FX where it has to still qualify for basic cable and is a bit better than network, but trying to be premium. It just you felt t- television to me. It and- feels like it doesn't feel like the pejorative people would say is like sci-fi network when something's cheap. I would never put it that way. Of yeah. course, of course not. But I was like, this is prestige cable level. I this agree. is like yeah. just, there's some scenes there that in the forest where I'm like, this is the walking dead. I kept thinking this it was the walking, like the walking dead, dead. The CG. And so this one in starting with positive things, I want to say positive things about the director. I think the budget was such and the writing meaning the original story. I haven't mm. read the book, but I'm just no know, knowing what's come from the book. I know the ending is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not really compelled by the shining having a, a new story about soul vampires that carry, you know, cryothermoses in a burning man caravan just doesn't feel like it enhances the world of the shining that I know and love. Now, granted I'm like way more into the movie than I am the Stephen King version, I think. And I think this Mm -hmm. is where King often loses me as his band of Motley Crue travelers that often come up in the stand and things like that. Mm -hmm. Just, doesn't interest me and then infiltrating the shining mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to think that that's all you get up until the end with the overlook, which Flanagan brought in as a way to marry mm-hmm. the f- original film in the book. That's not even in the book. Cause the ending of the book is that they go to the empty field where yeah. uh, cause I'd read the original, the shining book, it burns at the end and explodes. So that's why I guess at the end of Dr. Sleep, it would be, not there anymore yeah. but it does eventually explode but yeah the um uh the choices you're saying between what's being adapted here it's a little it, uh divided between a Stephen King adaptation and an adaptation of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining yeah and that can sometimes yeah lead to it feels like a mismatch sometimes. Uh, the, it's admirable. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And and what you were saying about him doing a TV series and it felt more suited, that's what, like, the periphery characters and the big epicness of, like, the storytelling that they're going to different places and stuff, that just seems more, not trying to be a pejorative here, but just it, sound, it feels like TV. It's mm-hmm. like... Uh, and whenever you hear somebody talking about how they have to adapt a book, it's always any good at adaptation. They usually say, I had to choose one thought, kind of one idea, one story, and devote the runtime to telling that story. And that's like what I, with Dr. Sleep is the, where it just lags for me is like when it's not adapting. Uh, I don't know. It's, um, when they go to those scenes with the hat and everybody, yeah, I just go like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to feel during it. Like, yeah, are these scenes where they're building empathy and understanding for the bad guys so that you understand their desire to want to get 
you know, you, you just to understand murder their, a child. What's that? To murder a child. <laughs> I mean, to understand their aims as villains, it's like okay, but that only takes like a couple scenes, guys. Like, watch a fucking Batman movie or Die Hard or something. Like, so if it's not just establishing them as bad guys, there are some scenes where I'm watching something. And I'm like, what? What the f- f- fuck am I supposed to care? Yeah, and. When it's, they're all dressed and look like how a middle school kid draws like a crew of cool comic book characters. Like there's just a dude who's bald with shades and they're like top hats and long coats. Anytime they walk on screen, it's like 90s jam band. I expect like little miss, little miss, little miss can't be wrong. Whenever the hat comes on, I'm not going to, I know she's like Rose the hat. She's just the hat for me. Like yeah. the hat comes in and it's like, little miss can't be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, those, they just come out of nowhere. I, even for people who like Dr. Sleep, I can't imagine a scenario where people said they like those scenes more than the scenes of grown up Danny. So anytime you go away from grown up Danny, yeah. you're like, you can't even argue you like them as much as... It's impossible. I no. don't believe it. I know. And so it's just such a drag going anytime back to that. I'm just like, hey, the argument would be, that's good for TV, a TV miniseries on ABC. But if you're making a movie, have it be in the first 15 minutes, he meets this uh, new Danny girl with yeah. her family yeah. while he's in treatment, while he's like helping people... He's already recovered. It's just such a crazy way to tell a story. Where, oh man! Especially on the heels of The Shining. The, yes, I'm sorry. The Shining. The Shining. Yes, that's The Shining. The and movie that is like the pinnacle for obsessive detail and composition to kind of do it televisually with. And again, this is like not. It's maybe more of a fault of the budget, but wigs and beards real beards that come and go and f- turn to fake beards and reshoots and all this mm-hmm. stuff it's just i don't know it felt like an accents that come and go yes the attention to detail was missing in this f- in favor of a kind of sh- like pseudo hip aesthetic that really took me out of it. Yeah. It reminded me of when you go on uh, IMDb and you read the trivia and you read about prior versions of a movie that were about to be made 10 years ago and you go, what? How was that going to be? If you explain, like read this in a paragraph and go in, in, you know, 2003, there was going to be a sequel to The Shining where a woman named Rose the Hat is a soul vampire that sucks the life force for <laughs> Grandpa Crick. <laughs> And a kid named Abra and a cat named Azzy, mm-hmm. and they murder a child. Oh, and then they go to a yeah. It just no. It, it feels like a the movie feels a little like somebody who wanted the wrong questions answered in the the first time they saw The Shining or had the yeah. wrong hang. They had hangups about it. So it's like, um, oh, um, why are the ghosts doing that? You know, The Shining. It's like the most amazing thing when you walk out of the shine you're like oh that was kind of a mystery to me i don't know what what was drawing danny to the hotel what was going on in that hotel the movie doesn't give much exposition the shining 1980 so 
I'm just getting to fill all these answers with my own imagination. Yeah. This, this is the obvious complaint about this movie would just be like, it explains that the reason it was happening is because of soul steam, death steam. Okay. The death steam. I mean, it really had no business being there. The one so th thing I did like was yes. the kind of suggestion that Danny as a boy was a battery that awakened the overlook. Yeah, I love the image yeah. of when he's walking through the hotel, the lights coming on. That's like a cool, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so on an expository level, yeah. it doesn't understand the original Shining. Right. It's trying to explain stuff. On um, a tone level, it's an idiot. What an idiot would want after watching The Shining, which is like, I wish people were a little nicer to each other. Mm. I wish there was a little more warmth. I wish somebody would say, you shine on, Danny, at the end of the... Like, they're making all these tonal choices that are just so not... And I'm not trying to be like, I like the thing and they messed up the thing. I know the shiny exists. It's just like more like scratching my head. Like, why do you think sentimentality, sentimentality would feel right in this yeah. universe? And then the last misunderstanding, if somebody watched The Shining and then like was like, I'm going to make a sequel, is pace. Like That's my big The issue. thing that defines The Shining is like, it feels pretty fucking normal and mundane, and but it's weird. And then slowly it opens up to you. And by the end, it's just dread. And like, this movie opens with like the lost world Jurassic Park two opens where it's like, or it more, you know, that you can well, see they're just trying no to ride on it. There, yeah. Like this opening of a little girl encountering the monster out by herself in the wild, it, like alone. Okay. You blew your opportunity for having like an amazing first hour where it is just, you see Danny working at a thing you can kind of tell he's using his powers. You see he's in treatment your imagination gets to feel like, oh, I guess he was a drunk at some point and had to get sober. Okay, that's cool. I wonder if he's going to, like, ugh. Yeah. It, it's just three fundamental misunderstandings of what makes the original appealing. I agree, and you mentioned scratching your head, and part of this is <clears throat> we, we've been, I think, warning listeners that we weren't really fans of this movie, and we wanted to cover this movie because many people asked for it. So it <laughs> You asked for it, is what you're saying. Well, I, it leaves <laughs> me wondering what are we either not seeing or what are they seeing, because it does feel like the response we've seen, at least on our listener threads through Patreon, is that people really do like this movie. So I feel bad because I'm right with you. Oh, I, I just spent eight minutes dumping on something people like. I'm going to feel so much shame very, and sadness no, about this. But I had to like make it clear so it doesn't seem like I'm just I being a petty little loser, which I, I am. I am being a petty little but loser. But you're right. I completely agree with you and you're, you're fine to have those feelings. And I have people listening that like this movie. Don't take any offense because it's just Please personal don't. opinions. But I really did not have a good time watching this movie. It felt like it was, it felt like it was taking my steam a little bit. Cause well, I, before we started recording, we talked yeah. about the double punch we felt, which was like yeah. not enjoying it is one punch. But then the second punch of like, but people really like this and seem to love this. So I'm feeling kind of crazy yeah. or outside. I'm feeling like, yeah. And I don't want to feel like we're coming off as superior to those that like it. That's not the case. When it finally gets to the overlook, which ironically is not in the book, is when I start to go, okay, this movie's leading to this. 
And as much as I'm interested in that because I'm getting a fix visually of the yes. overlook, it still feels like the most fan servicey part. Yes. Although I watched that the most interestedly. The know? last, yes, the, that last like 25 minutes when they go to the overlook, there's just so many things that are like, this is the great column. Hey, what I love about this movie, there's this like undeniable responses I'm going to see from getting to go back into the overlook when it's older, yeah. <laughs> like, or seeing icicles on the roof yeah. that haven't been like that have like hardened on the roof. Like, I love it. Of course I love it. It's but does, just, it, does there a feeling of, uh, but yeah, to your point about it being fan service, mm-hmm. correct fan service for me is kind of like when they recreate shots and kind of obey the editing and like pattern of and the structural pattern, yeah, like will the yeah. recreate shots no. and your brain kind of goes like, oh, it's the exact same shot. It's just a new person They're there. Editing every steady cam shot second by second. Yeah, that fan stuff rules because it is trying to tickle the unsaid thing that you can't really get at what but you love about from it. The big wheel when they're going through the maze, they're cutting every yes. two seconds when the fan service yeah. that I don't like is the kind of like, how can we comic book eyes this movie? Yeah. And in Brantley's notes, it was pointed out that this came out of a like Flanagan came in to meet about some DC comics movies. Yeah. They said at the end, you know, we have Dr. Sleep. Okay. <laughs> like it so feels like whatever yeah. that world is of kind of like you generate material, you have IP. Uh, Stephen King's The It was a big hit, so why don't we just try this out? The um, the the most comic book, like it sounds like the in the early '90s when the player came out, a joke pitch about the Shining sequel they're working yeah. on would be it ends with a face-off in the maze at the end of the movie. Like, do you remember that part with the hat and the girl? They go like. Dual face-off style in the center of the maze, and she uses her shining mind control powers to come up from behind her here, yeah. from here. Like the least clever trick in the world. I'm like, this is just any lame-ass comic book movie and we've where the people seen face a maze, off. A, a maze ending. That's the other and there uh, and it's a a, a, a botched using that girl as bait, which they already did once, and I didn't like it. Mm. When they go into the forest, they use her as bait, and it doesn't work. You're like, you thought that would work, you idiots? (laughs) The second time, they use her as bait, and it doesn't work. And I'm like, who in the universe, in real life, ever uses bait? And then when it doesn't work, you're like, what the fuck was that for? Oh, I like this charged uh, Oh, God. Like it really... Uh, uh, so so to your point about, like, people love it and it breaks my heart, then, then I'm not. And I'm not trying to be superior. Yes. Uh, it, That's important. Uh, but I go, like, there must be something that these movies deliver to a moviegoer that is desired that's not desired uh, by me. I think for me, I'm very sensitive to like, oh, I hate the way this, this sounds so pretentious, but the ersatz. Hey, I'm Mr. Pretentious, so go ahead. The ersatz look of The Shining. So the set was recreated, but they still cut it, they color time it, and it ends up looking like CG, even though often they're on a practical set in this thing. Mm-hmm. And that 
and I'm I'm really sensitive. I don't mean like no, it's like your wig like a triggered snowflake. I'm sensitive. I couldn't care less at the end of the day. Yes, but the fact that his beard is going from real to fake, and I think the were the boy's eyes, Tommy's eyes digitally colored blue and just all this stuff that is taking me out. I think one thing I love about the shining is I know it's, it's a thing that's due to a time when it was made, but even at that time it was so analog and so in camera and so gorgeous to look at. And this is the exact opposite using every trick to get there with patina and post-production and Mm -hmm. going beyond it in a way that is the exact opposite spirit of what the shining is that that yeah it, it just well yeah when well, they make the haunted house look like a old haunted house when they make the yeah. overlook like a haunted house you're like that's the cliche that the original shining was fighting like was what its power was that it wasn't that so it is it's like just, such yeah. a funny thing to be like what if the overlook looked like the haunted mansion in disneyland <laughs> It's just even still on the heels of conjuring movies where there's just a color timing that they're doing in post that is so unnecessary. I mean, it's the thing that was pulling my hair most of about yeah. Dial of Destiny was whatever that yeah. color timing thing was like, why can't things look real? I know. And uh, I'm partly like, I try to see it like, is it, um, and this isn't, um, uh, do things look bad if they're not color time now is what I'm wondering. Like if people go and see, does the average movie goer kind of look, go like, why does that not look like Are movies forced to do that kind of weird digital color timing now stuff? Cause it looks bad if you didn't. Well, every movie's color timed, but there's, there's color timing. Like you would use corrective makeup as you walk around day to day to look just normal. And then there's effects so there's color timing effects that Conjuring movies yeah. use and almost every movie yes. from the aughts used yeah. and this movie uses. But look at Casino Royale, I'm sure is color timed, but it just looks real. Yeah. Spectre doesn't. They color yeah. timed it with a style, you know, that uh-huh. just doesn't age well. You know? The Casino Royale, uh, bringing that up, kind uh, can bring us to how this movie kicks off, but it seems like a very... 210, 2010s move or whatever it is that of like starting Danny in that place. Like he's at the bottom of a barrel. Uh, like that's such an interesting way that people, I mean, with all kinds of pop culture characters, when you revisit them, that you start them in that place. But it kind of assumes that they're going to get out of it within the first 30 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, kind of lets you off the hook of actual dark character. Like if you saw somebody being at the bottom of the barrel for the whole movie and finding hope, that's the edgy version that they're trying to be like, we're not Hollywood. Mm. Danny's a fuck up. It's like, if you were really edgy, you wouldn't just be putting this in the first 10 minutes so you could have him be a good guy now that he's going to AA. Like, you know what I mean? Like the kind of like uh, post Batman Begins, post Casino Royale of this character is a shit. Yeah. Just feels like an empty edgy choice as opposed to being like a true edgy choice of like, oh, the character started off good and then you saw them get twisted up and become especially bad. In yeah. this, especially in this because as Ewan McGregor cornered the market on drug den 
dead babies. <laughs> I know that opening. I was like, this is train spotting. The like but neglected child version. The waste that. in a bed. Yeah, yeah. and it, it does have that kind of soap opera melodramatic. We know how to show how Danny's bad. Mm-hmm. And that will make him all the more redeemable when he changes. Uh, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm trying to think of what the because that reoccurs not just in Doctor Sleep but in movies again and again now. Like, I don't. There's there has to be something in the mindset of people right now of like it feels phony to see this person in a good place. And we got to see how they're in a bad place and got out of it. Well, it's like the trend of every horror movie now is also a metaphor for someone's personal past trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. Halloween, all these things. And I think it's it's a lazy way of making a movie have depth. And I think right now when we saw oh. like the rise of elevated horror, mm-hmm. it was legitimate with Get Out mm-hmm. and Hereditary. And now people are doing the same way that um, single camera comedies when they came out were something special, like the British office. <laughs> then they just became sitcoms without <laughs> laugh tracks. Now <laughs> horror is elevated without elevation, but tells <laughs> you it's elevated because it has a theme attached to it where it never used to. I, I just yeah. prefer either actual like really deep thematic horror or a movie that knows what it is and just wants to have some thrills and sluts. And well, I, I think I meant to say slashes, and <laughs> slashes and cuts. And I said sluts, <laughs> but it works. It does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I could, I can, you can tell from Dr. Sleep, the um, subtle touch that can only come from a older white dude filmmaker. When he talk tries to talk about these times as when, a 15-year-old girl, a girl who's portrayed as 15-year-old in a miniskirt is holding a shotgun up to a guy's head and going, fucking man. Yeah. That's what you think this is, moment is about? And that's, or that, that's, that's like your movie's like chin scratching, like, hey, kind of has a connection to what's going on here. A 15-year-old girl wearing a miniskirt with a gun to a guy's head? Like, it's such a cheap speak, like... First of all, you don't even need to speak to the times in every horror movie, but that's how you do it. All, also, that was just a really lazy character building thing. That and the scene with the man picking up at the at the movie theater. We get it. She has trauma, but it's all that telegraphed token trauma that is enough to signify it, but not really like shed any depth. Same thing with, we've talked about this before, where if you have something really just like truly tragic, like a child being murdered by multiple people and basically buried alive. You have to earn that in the quality of the movie to handle subject matter like that. And so this just turned my stomach in a way, not because I was seeing graphic murder Mm -hmm. of a child. That was obviously harrowing. And then the, the vision of the baby dead and the drug den, it was that this movie has not gotten to a place where I feel like it's responsible enough or capable enough to handle that subject matter. So I feel icky watching it. I feel like a participant in this thing. Talk about the baseball kid. Yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, murder is really, it it feels like it's from a different movie and it's because the kid's yelling. It's horrible. Like that's what's weird about it. I I mean, what's effective about it is you usually when people attack a kid, he just goes, ah, and it fades to black. I was like, oh, props to this movie that they're trying to, and I will say about the hat and, and all those people, 
I wish I liked it because the idea of a sequel trying to do something new is something I do want to applaud. True, yeah. So if this worked for me, I'd probably be like, this is cool, like world building stuff. But yeah, when uh, it almost seemed like that death was more dramatic just because Jacob Tremblay was like playing it. Like, I think hey, so. we're going to do it for this Oscar nominee. Uh, but you have this that was a no neighbor, situation of a kid being killed by a kind of like almost comic motley crew of of just steampunks mm-hmm. you can't right. i don't see how anyone can watch it and go this this is believable and feels like weighted enough to handle this situation because i'm looking at these people sniff cg steam coming out of this horribly murdered child and that's when you ask like, this what am i supposed silly. to feel about this i guess yeah. it's horror but then to what purpose like to the purpose then that now i think these people are bad because if they do, then they should meet Danny and uh, Abba, the, uh, Abra, the little girl, way sooner. You're telling me a good movie is one where there's 20 minutes left and the main bad, uh, the antagonist, uh, the hat, meets Danny and literally says, who are you? That's a bad movie. Those two should have been like connected somehow uh, within the first half hour. I have no understanding like what. And because the uh, that's the good part about the director's cut is you get an earlier scene with Abra. And that was the other thing I noticed when I was watching. I was like, I remember her being more um, involved in the story at the beginning, she kind of comes like 40 minutes in out of nowhere as this character who then is like one of the main characters in the director's cut. You see scenes with her, more scenes with her family. So that is the uh, other component of this too. That's a little like uh, uneven is the like adversary heroes never really trying to, yeah, scheme maybe. against each other or with each other until like near the end. Apparently in the novel, they actually are related and he actually is her uncle because Jack Torrance, I think, had an affair with her grandmother. Oh. I don't know if that's so when she better says or worse, but... Uncle, it's like, you're like yeah. an uncle, but in that, it's he's a real life uncle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be... That's interesting because then it suggests like what Danny's life was be- before the first five minutes of the movie, which, you know, all I can kind of tell is like he goes around and sleeps with girls who barf and beats up people with billiard balls. And Exclusively stuff. with girls who barf. Now, Matt, I didn't talk about the things I liked. We jumped right. So I got to say there w- there is some uh, yeah, I stuff I do really, I, I, I'll say I like about this movie and I feel bad that I didn't start it off with it but I think all the actors are really uh, they're great and Hmm. the acting might not be the best but all the oh yes okay yeah it's it's well cast and I like all the actors feel right I might not like the lines they say or the scenes that they're put in, but I do kind of go like, there was never a time where an actor would show up and I go, oh God, this." Uh, it, it was always like, now with the performances, and this is something I can't get out of my brain since reading the, the, the book about how Kubrick would usually use later takes because they got interesting. They weren't the road, uh. like, it's now opened up my brain where I'm like, 
Oh, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, when you'd write a sketch or something or do an improv scene, sometimes the first thought isn't the funniest or most interesting one. It's just the hack one because mm-hmm. it's the thing people know. When I was watching all the line readings in this movie, I was just like, none of them have that element from The Shining of like, it's weird. Yeah, They're just talking like either trying to do the approximation of naturalism that you see in movies all the time or this kind of like slightly heightened genre speak that neither of them are that like, oh, I love a sketch where it was like the 16th joke somebody had to come up with and it's first because it's like, that's unusual. And it, but to, so in this movie, I also just felt the drudgery of like, so this is something you like. I've seen three takes. <laughs> I've just seen the first three takes each time. With and One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. With and rest. I really like Rebecca Ferguson and I really like Ewan McGregor and I don't think either of them are good or served well in this movie. I realize why you never really see Ewan McGregor playing an American very often, his accent really threw me. Do you think Jack was trying, when Henry Thomas was Jack Torrance, he was trying to match the weird uh, English person trying to speak in his American accent? Because it was so weird. It's like, I don't, he wasn't doing an impression of Jack Nicholson. No, I think he was doing the voice of Lloyd. But it sounded like an Irish man trying to do an American Rebecca Ferguson playing an Irish person, kind of, and those accents would just come and go. It just, it just all felt like everything was piecemeal and rushed. Mm. I, I was, ne- I never for a second was I brought into this movie, which is the sole responsibility of a movie. Happy, sad, or indifferent is to bring you into its world, not, not you bring it out. You know, and that's all I could think of was external things about this movie. It made me think of how I feel probably about 95% of the time I ever try to watch sports <laughs> where I go, I like, this is good. This is good. And I'm like, if you liked it, Paul, your body would be feeling it, mm. not your brain. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm trying to speak to what you're saying yeah. about you're never into it. I never at any point just felt like my body's alive. I'm watching this. Th-. Like, except when they were driving up to the Overlook and it was nighttime. Because I was like, using, hey, you know why? That's know, the original footage. And even then I was like, whoa. And then that, that uncanny valley thing comes in of I sense the CG. Mm-hmm. 
The one time it maybe brought me in a little bit was the first scene with the first old man dying. Because mm-hmm. I just thought that actor was really oh, effective. These were other good things I liked. Okay. Uh, yes. That scene where he's helping the old guy die. The first one for me. Because there is actually a difference between that and the second one. Because the second one, I'll, I'll the just The second one was more to like sentimental. Well, it just had a, a screenwriting trope that drives me crazy uh-huh. that does something that humans... I guarantee you, you've never actually said this or ever heard a human say it, but you hear it in screenplays all the time. The actor is dying and, he, and the character thinks, a of, pill. thinks of blueberries. Oh. And instead of just saying, I like blueberries, he goes, blueberries. I like blueberries. It's just such a that's writer's thing. So I know that's true, stupid dude. I know what you mean. I know but you. you're dying. You're just going to be, if you're really just in that moment thinking, you go, I like blueberries. Yeah. Oh, the biggest, like... Um, the like thing that was ever put on screen in this movie for me is when the girl is reading the thoughts of her classmates and um, oh, yeah. the girl is going like, somebody's like, I wonder if my hair looks pretty. And she touches her hair and it's like, you realize the audience has access to what the person's thinking. You don't have to have them then touch the. And then they go. She goes to the other girl, and she's looking at her nasty. And what are her thoughts? Ooh, what's that girl looking at? Cool, interesting. <laughs> like have the moment of like the person just looks like they're smiling, and the voice is who's that girl? Or the person's like trying to get involved with the group, and then her thought is like, does my hair look weird? Like to be that like straightforward of twice like. <laughs> Uh, uh, but I did like <laughs> the scene where he, uh, gives the speech at AA. Yeah. I thought was good. Cause he is a very good actor. And the scene where he put the bottle for, for a scene that could have been cliche when he puts the bottle to his lips had true suspense for me. Well, and when he's I, actually in recovery or that's uh, in the notes. Sober, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what it was for me was, and this is like, Hey, this is why you hire a, a talented actor who has some magic, uh, who has magic. Ewan McGregor, when I noticed he opened it, he just immediately brought the thing, the bottle up to his mouth as soon as he opened it. And I was like, the cliche thing would have been, Open Sit it, holding stare, it, yeah. then slowly bring it up. The scene had tension because he yeah. opened it up and just brought it right to his lips. I was like, ho, 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 dude, 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 dude. And that got me. And I was like, I care enough about this character that I don't want him to do this. And I can tell he's upset and I don't want him to get more upset, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I have friends who are in recovery and I know a thing that they hate in movies and TV shows is that the person stands at a AA meeting to give their speech. And I think a lot of times people just, everybody's sitting. Oh, interesting. So it is like a little cinematic, uh, oh. trick to have the person like, I'm the main character of this movie and I will stand up before you all and Come give the, the speech. A podium. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the recasting of Wendy, Danny, Dick Halloran, and we've talked a little bit about Jack Torrance with yeah. other actors. It's jarring at first, but I know in the research, they they think they did toy with some ideas for de-aging and digital ideas. Mm-hmm. I am convinced the woman that played Wendy was cast off her voice because she was able to do an 
uncanny vocal impression. I wondered if they used some of the original cues because there's a part where she's calling for Danny when he was on the beach at the beginning or whatever. And I was like, oh, that sounds like the scene where she's calling for him when she's running through the hallway. I also wondered if the woman that plays Abra's mom, you know how when things are cast, like they're like, oh, maybe she's not right for Shelley Duvall, but let's put her in this other role because she looked more like Shelley oh, Duvall yeah. than the woman that played Shelley Duvall. That's right. That's right. I mean, I am glad that they cast new actors. I think yeah. that would have been... But would you like Would you like to have seen those scenes done more expressionistically where you kind of like... It wasn't so on them? I, a part of me would have liked it to have been a little bit more amorphous, which I think would have helped too because you would have had to really be efficient and cut it down and mm. not drawn those sections out so much or done them as flashbacks that are a little bit more ambiguous and mm-hmm. I think that would have helped the movie quite a bit too. Yeah, yeah. Although the guy that played Halloran was really good. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, in the director's cut, I, the, there's dissolves and stuff that are added between those with the characters. So I think that probably enhances like the mood yeah. stuff too. The um, Yeah, I liked uh, the guy who played Dick in those scenes. Um, they... Um, I'm trying to, oh, oh, your point with, um, Wendy, um, yeah, I think they were all like, um, I don't know. It's interesting because it, 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 the scenes would just, could only be expositional or something. Like when the old characters would show up, they would just have conversations about what they needed to do next <laughs> i don't know uh but just by the, the wendy's wig was just I yeah know that's like petty but it was it was well, just throwing me off you know and, yes with the instead of just going like oh what would her new hairstyle be five months after the events of the first one or something yeah. when they're in florida 1980 at the beginning maybe this is in the book but i like to imagine that they got dick's house down in Florida. Yeah. And if they did, I would have loved to have seen them in that little artwork. Yes. (laughs) And the kid's like, I got to see that lady in room 237. And now this, that was cool. The room 237 was, you know how, when we watched, uh, when we read the Toshin book and stuff that it is like, Oh, there probably was some attempt to make Danny's bathroom and the bathroom at room 237 Mm match so your brain so it was cool that this movie dr sleep in the category of cool they um did see that marriage and married them together by having the woman in the tub with danny yeah um a question i had with stuff that looks similar though isn't it weird that when he goes to get interviewed for the job the office looks like the overlook it doesn't just look like it it's identical including all the stuff on the walls yeah so does danny go why why does it look like this? I think well, I remember. D- Danny was never, I mean. He could have wandered yeah, in there, though. Yeah, he could have wandered in, yeah. But what's that for? I, th- I think that's just that lazy shortcut of like, oh, this is Kubrick-level mystery mm. that mm-hmm. I think is just missing the point, you know? Mm-hmm. It just it all feels like shorthand to me instead of actual um, like depth or something. Yeah, trying to really, I mean... Yeah, I just feel like if a movie really was trying to get more in depth into what The Shining was, it'd be going deeper into the pace. Yeah. And like the editing and just like pushing that element. It's really what was awesome about um, 
the Suspiria remake that I liked. It like I still haven't seen that. I want to. You could tell it was somebody who watched Suspiria, loved it, and then was just like, "How can I create that impact of what witchy dance horror is mm -hmm. as an idea and just try to go further with that?" Um, is not the case uh, case here. Where do you think? Um, let's just call Hats Group Rusted Root. Okay. Where did they get these cryothermoses? Uh, from the QAnon headquarters <laughs> where you keep the blood of children who are scared. At, at uh, Pizzagate or wherever. Yeah. Astro Pizza. Yeah, it's located in Astro Pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, another time when I thought this movie was dumb. <laughs> was, yeah. okay, I can buy Death Steam as a element in this movie if you really want me to. You're asking me to buy that when the guy dies in front of Danny at the retirement home, there's literal death steam comes out. Yeah. So this is not just poetic death steam. It's like, no, in this world, amongst the many other unusual things, a doctor would tell you death steam comes out. It turns somebody... out 21 grams is actually death steam. What was so funny to me when they were, um, when she was like squeezing Danny's like wound to try to get him death steam to come out. And then she was like huffing it and yeah. seeing um, images from the movie. Yeah. I was like, that's what this Dr. Sleep movie is. Yeah. It's me trying to pull from it like a bong memories and scenes that I liked from the first one. Like we're the people, we're the hat crew who are like, I need my fix of the shining. Just give me a, just give me the, the Grady twins girls one more time. Just show me the red rum uh, carved oh, on the wall. The like, Oh, Oh, good. One more time. <laughs> You're so right. And the Grady twins are such a, a bad replica yes. the way they're presented in this. This then is they attack uh, the girl, they attack the hat, and then moments later, they sh the, the great party, isn't it, guy, attacks her, and then a couple minutes later, he's back in his spot, like, this is a haunted uh, uh, dark ride, where the guy kicks, and then he's like, ooh, a new person's gonna yeah. gotta run yeah. back here, and be yeah. like, great party, isn't it? Anyway, this is why I can't understand why people like this movie. Again, not from, <laughs> not from a superior angle, but I just really am curious... If you were to watch The Shining, either for the first time or the billionth time, as you, we all love it, and at the end, someone goes, there's going to be a sequel, and it's going to be a group of people that have people's death steam in stainless steel sci-fi thermoses. You know, like Monsters, Inc. with screams. Yes. But with steam, okay. Would you ever Go think on. that that was the same world and would follow oh. logically, and even if there was a way to get there... What could that possibly be? When you really put that point A to point B, these movies just aren't... Yes. They aren't of the same anything, you know? Yeah, no, Matt, I had the same thought at... Um, uh, at 68... No, no, like 90 minutes in, I was like, if somebody had told me when I saw The Shining or whatever, last time I watched The Shining, hey, you know, they made a sequel. Do you want to hear what's happening in, like, 90-minute mark? <laughs> like, sure. Uh, it's a girl, the girl in the kitchen with her family talking to Danny, and he's like, she's like, 
they've been following you and we're going to let them. Uh, what? Yeah. What? We're going to let them? Yeah. yeah. So they follow her and then we get them. I'd be like, no fucking way is that in a sequel to The Shining no. where somebody goes, we're going to let the ghost follow him. What? You're crazy. Yeah. No. Now, that's my explanation for why I think maybe somebody could like this. If they like scenes like that, which I don't, that works then, in a heist movie. then they like it because it's, oh, I like The Shining and I like those scenes. Now I'm getting them together. Okay. Right? Well, that's like dialogue you would see in a heist scene or, or of like a fun, like an Ocean's Eleven of like, and this is exactly what we want them to do. I can't stand characters in a movie that's asking you to take it seriously that aren't seriously written. For instance, mm -hmm. the character of Billy, his his AA friend, who I really like, I thought the actor was yeah. really good. When they're, when Ewan McGregor goes up to explain to him what the situation is, and you don't hear it, but they cut to the car, and you just get Billy's reaction of him going, this is one of two things. You're either crazy, <laughs> and I'm going to find that out, mm -hmm. or monsters exist. You're crazy because mm. you've you've made all this up. Mm -hmm. or monsters exist and they've killed this kid that we're about to dig up. Any actual human would have the third option, which would actually be the first, which is yep. you, sir, who I don't know, killed this kid and are taking me out here on some perverted thing yeah. and you're going to kill me. Or I don't there's know fully there's like no way my whole life. Yes, yeah. yes, there's yeah. no, there's not a black and white. There's not a, yeah. two. and I think as a writer, you would have to go, how do you leave that out? I mean, I, I was the first thing that came to my mind when I saw well, him. Do you say know that. why that character doesn't ask that question? It's because the writer, Stephen King or the writer of this movie just has zero curiosity about what's going on in that guy's life. And it his to, reason to, literally is there to be at a wheel, to drive the yeah. guy around to get to things. That's a means to an end to get them to a plot point that the script It's just needs, a plot character. It's a character yeah. exists only for plot. That's frustrating. When he, oh, I hate it. When he shows up <laughs> at the town square and he immediately is like, you look like you need help. Yeah. I'm going to help you. I was like, this must have come from the novel because only Stephen King writes, not only him, many, writes a non-white character who lives to come up to a white stranger and help them with their trouble. Like, I was like, what's driving this guy? Can we have a couple? If, if he's going to be that significant and pivotal of a character in this movie... Can I find out the, what made him sober, why he's here, what brought him or here? Or is he one of those people Halloran is referring to that has a little shining and doesn't know it, but give us an inkling of that in some way. Yeah. Well, the, the razor's edge that this movie would sometimes go on, which is like, I love the part where the hat projected herself above the country and could kind of see these like electrical system of the shining. That was cool. Cause I, like I was like, that. it's conceptual and this yes, is yeah. taking something for doesn't feel like married to the original movie, but I still liked it. Exactly. Exactly. But then she shows up in like a Freddy sub Freddy Krueger dream sequence where their visual for somebody's brain is filing cabinets with the things marked. And it's like dreams and she reaches in and then it mashes her hand and then all that stuff I liked about this kind of like, oh, she's going over a field of shining lights. It just becomes, she gets sucked across the country and then lands back on the ground. I'm like, oh, that was real? All of this in yoga pants. 
I guess if you're hat. doing that kind of work flying through the air, you'd want things to be a little loose. And I guess the top hat is like the circus aspect of it. When the magician showed, there's a magician in this that shows the top hat. Just yeah. a side thing I've thought with magicians, kid, you know, for performers. Why do they all go with this vaudeville top hat routine? Guys, 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 guys. If you're a magician, you could dress like a wizard, a sorcerer, and do like a whole wizardly douche. Like kids would love that. Or even better, mad scientist. <laughs> he's coming up here. He runs up with his wild hair. He's like, oh, he's got blueprints falling all over the place. Kids, kids, kids. I want to show you some of my experiments, you know. Or even better, Rebecca the Hat or Rose the Hat or whatever. I prefer to call her Rebecca the Hat. <laughs> No, no, not that. Because that's what I'm saying. Why do people choose like the old vaudevillian? I'm Mr. Magical. You're telling me you're a six-year-old kid. It's your sixth birthday party. You don't want a woman in yoga pants. (laughs) Okay. To come in a blousy top and a half top hat. And do some real weird, just she, playing. She I would like to reach out my little hands and aim away. Hey. Now, kids, your well, applause I like, but what I really like is your death steam. <laughs> so if you could just shoot it into my mouth at the end of the show, that's how I know you appreciate it. Uh, um, the... Uh, uh, yeah... I liked, I liked the scene with Jack and him refusing the drink. Which that was I the think, one I was just going to bring up. Here. And that's yeah. written by the director, not from the novel. Yeah, and that was the scene that when he got on the phone with uh, Stephen King to pitch the idea that the Overlook still exists, that was the scene that convinced Stephen King. Uh, stuff I love about this movie. I love the notion that Jack became some sort of bartender character that like yeah. fits with the movie and it's yes. a cool idea. Um, and that he's trapped there just like Grady was. And yeah. Um, as with anything, when I say a compliment, now I have to say something really shitty, but well, then why did he have eighties hair and eighties sideburns? Like that's such a thing to make the audience be like, don't worry, it's Jack. You can tell. Cause like he would kind of huh. enter into the era of the time. Well, I don't know because Lloyd didn't and Grady didn't. They were of their time. But and the twins were but maybe that time was in era. Like it seems weird to me that oh in the gold room he's has an he, he's brought his era. It seems like I mean, it was funny when the people attacked um, the hat at the end. I was like, oh, it's only the 1920s ghosts, I guess, who... (laughs) Yeah. Because that hotel would be filled with people, you know. But... um, Where was was a dog? But also because Jack is, um, you know, at the end of the 1920s scene in the picture, at the end of the movie, he's got like that... it, It just seems like if the hotel has absorbed him as the care... Also, if a guy was a bartender, they wouldn't let you be groomed that way. If yeah. the overlook, you had to be groomed a little bit. You, you would have at least been shaved. It's just like a kind of like cut and paste his head onto Lloyd the bartender thing that I was just like, it's yeah. not entirely uh, thought out. Yeah, the whole thing is a huge misstep, to say the least. That's what looks weird then too in the red bathroom scene is that he's unkept Jack Nicholson, 1980, but in this bathroom as Grady, like yeah. as the Bart or whatever, you know. The Abra calls her grandma Momo in this, which is what my daughter calls 
her grandma. I have to tell you the origin of this. Please. She, my mother-in-law is very, like, uh, kind of like, just will talk sometimes and not know what she's saying. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. And she somehow, when my daughter was born, meant to say like, oh, you didn't come out with a a, a cone head, like a misshapen head. But what she ended up saying was, oh, you'll call me Momo Conehead. And we all <laughs> looked at her and I immediately was like, well, that's your name. That's sticking. So we call her Momo Conehead. I wonder then what the origin of this one is. I don't know, but I will say this. The only other time they mention her is Abra goes, yeah, my grandma had cancer. Only worse. What does that mean? Hmm. What worse is than if a house had it, I worse. guess. Is that what you meant? I don't know. Worse than when the Overlook has it, because Overlook is a building. <laughs> Momo is real. Ah. Um, okay, if you were to assemble a team of badass, weird doctors from movies, mm-hmm. who would you put in there besides Dr. Sleep, Dr. Giggles, and Dr. Octopus? <laughs> Dr. Fibes, Fibs, how do you pronounce it? Oh, yeah, that? Dr. The abominable, Fibes. Yeah. yeah, the abominable Dr. Fibes, that's good. <laughs> Dr. Acula. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other thing. The only reason this movie should exist is for the all the guys of the gang that did Room 237 to do their interpretations of this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> because actually, I bet because people are so aware of the Kubrick depths that it's more likely that Flanagan mm. would have put little hidden things in this mm-hmm. movie as a nod to that kind of thing than it is for the original Shining. <laughs> right, yes, so that's it's, true. So you probably could find something if you looked really hard. I, I think those guys should get on it. Yeah, the uh, um, notion I had when I was watching the scene um, with the girl with her family is when that part where she's like, Dad, Dad, understand this. He's not listening to her. She, so he, she goes, oh, fine. And she uses her powers to project the images into his dad's brain. Um, I Then I really did like the humor after of him pouring a drink and then offering it to AA. Remember, I was like, oh, this is all funny yeah. character stuff. Yeah. Um, but the... That uh, was good. Uh, when it did make me think like if a kid had that power over their parents, it would be the best thing. Because <laughs> the biggest like knockdown, drag out fights that our family would have, you know, I have two older sisters... If they had plans to do something and my parents said they couldn't do those plans, that was like World War III uh-huh. in our house. And I get it because to be denied social, to be social is like the word, you know, it's yeah. what the kid lives for. Right. But I could, I was just imagining like if my, my parents were like, no, you can't. We told you Friday night was your night out. Just because you made plans with people on Saturday doesn't mean you get to go two nights out this weekend. If like one of my sisters was just like, and like my dad felt like her crush on a guy that she wanted to go see. He's like, oh, oh, whoa, yes, you can go see Scotty. <laughs> A kid would love that power. That would be amazing. Uh, the other thing was, there's a lot of long car trips in this movie. Yeah. Which is like when somebody, <laughs> it was just a plot is like, oh, they got to drive from point to point. The, uh, there was a part where I was like, they're um, blowing it by not doing this trope that I hate now in movies. 
because I saw it in two movies in a row, two days in a row, from a, both movies from 2023. What? You show two people get along because they sing along to a song oh, in the car. No. They could have done that. What would they movie. have been singing in this? Uh, the Shining theme. I would theme. like to reach out my hand. <laughs> um, but that part where he poured himself a drink, I did. I wondered if this has ever been in a movie because I think it'd be kind of funny. Because you know how a lot of times the pour the drink thing is after a scary thing. Yeah, it's the exposition, the expository scene to explain why that scary thing happened. It just lets people calm down. So there's some probably screenwriting reason why they have the scene of the person going like just i gotta pour a drink now explain to me what 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 happened uh i don't think i've ever seen a movie where somebody goes i gotta call my nerves they take a drink but by the end of the like the five minute scene the person just completely shit faced (laughs) and passed out yeah wouldn't that be funny it's like why are we even going who cares it's stupid it's just dumb i want out of this whole thing (laughs) I'm going back home to my Why mom. Why you guys hate me? You all hate me! <laughs> and then running up and passing out. <laughs> oh, we gotta kiss oh. the monster. You don't understand. Oh, God, they do this all the time. Tara Brownstein from seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, what do you think it was like at the end of this movie when Abra made it home and explained to her mother who's been gone for this entire thing except mm. to come home to find her missing and only get an I love you from a phone and then go missing again. And she's going to tell her this story. And judging from her appearance and their interaction at the end, she believes her. Yes. She probably had to do that like bzz, thing. Yeah. Bzz, mom, yeah. I love Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty is cute. This is all I got. I got nothing more to say about this movie. I, I other than to say I'm sorry if you like this. I mean, oh, have we yeah. ever gone this hard in a movie sh- short of the Rob Zombie films? Was it Jack uh, Frost? Maybe. Yeah. But we had a little more fun with Jack Frost. Well, here's the thing, too. It's like I if if you like this movie, I like you. I don't dislike somebody who dislikes this movie. Yeah, and I celebrate that. Or I don't dislike anybody who likes this movie. Now, I know some people might feel, hey, I come to this podcast for it to be cozy. Yeah. This didn't feel cozy to me. I understand, but think of it this way. True coziness is when people can just be honest and open about their feelings. And And I had to be open and honest. It would be very non-cozy of me if I came in here and just used a happy voice the whole time to talk about something because I was afraid people would dislike me. I agree. And sometimes, occasionally, if very rarely and probably should be, you have to have an uncozy one to show how cozy things can be. Yeah, because if you eat sweet things all the time, you would just think... Well, big deal. Then you eat uh, uh, something um, greasy. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, that's good. But I also now like the sweet a little bit more. Uh, uh, what's your favorite greasy food? I guess just grease. Yeah. Uh, the movie. Yeah. I just just put butter on a VHS copy of Grease. Um, but I love you guys, and I hope it wasn't such a bummer hearing me be such a little brat the whole time. Well, because oh, we're also going to be ending this on a real high that's note true. anyway. So. And uh, some more stuff that I did like. I like the images of the boxes in the little frozen maze area. I thought that was cool. Well, I didn't like well, the concept well, of it. When but the, the box starts creeping up on Rebecca the hat, though, it was dumb. so silly. I thought I was watching like a Sid and Marty Croft show. Yes. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, so I take that back. Uh, the other thing no, I the liked, concept of it worked, but when it just a huge giant box and you know that there are just two grips behind it, 
pushing yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say, to be somebody from Iowa, to get to see like a shining treatment of Iowa, like instead of the helicopter shot going up the mountains, it, it was probably a drone shot, not a helicopter, but just like of the car, like driving down the center of a cornfield. Oh yeah. And with the shiny music that got me stoked. I was like, Hey, the Iowa boy and me love that a little. Yes. But the, even the stuff that was in like New Hampshire was so clear to me was the South. Yes. That town square. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, the it's funny now too with you know, I'm sure opening day, seeing the shining, those helicopter shots on some level was like I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah. When this started and it's like um, you know, people now use drones. It and they particularly use them all the time in documentaries now. So I expected like when the drone shot was going over the cars, like where they were driving, it just to be like uh, Michael knew he had to go report the crime to the police, but he wasn't sure where he should go first. If you're really doing an homage to The Shining, you should have had the drone shadow in the shot, like the helicopter shadows in the shot. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know what? Another thing, if you uh, if you really liked The Shining, they would have put this in Dr. Sleep. That's what I'm saying, is uh, the, 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 the dog man. I wanted him to be with the crew. The who? Oh, yeah, me too. The the dog suit guy. Why do you think that that, they didn't pull any punches on any other I know, he should have been there attacking the hat and being like, give me your steam. Or maybe he wasn't really interested in steam. Oh, he was too busy. But why wasn't he in it? That really is silly. It could have been a little... Missed opportunity. For sure. Here I am. I'm like, I don't like fan service. They should have put the dog guy in. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to go all the way. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I didn't ever feel like it was... There was parts that were dumb, but they weren't necessarily because of, like, respect. Uh, even though my favorite part was the last 20 minutes. Respect that they didn't do kind of this cheesy thing where throughout the whole movie it was just... <laughs> never-ending flashbacks to The Shining. There was a lot. Okay. (laughs) Plenty of room 237, lady. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, And it it does make you, when he's going down the hallway, and it's not the same thing, and it was the 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 big big wheel. wheel. Also, do you notice this kid just wasn't as good on the big wheel as as Danny Lloyd was? Well, the whole thing is... Every element of that is it's not as good as. No. So it just really kind of makes you go it's like a different kid. For it's, what purpose? I felt like that big wheel was like stiff in the wheel, so he couldn't push it as fast or something. Yes. Yeah, and because he, he were, didn't grow up with a big wheel. Yeah. yeah. And even the sound was off to the point where they probably used the actual yeah. practical sound, yeah. which we know now in Shining they didn't. Well, Matt, the magic. This is uh it brings me to what we started talking about before we started recording. I'm glad I remembered. You had made a point. Is this the biggest disparity in love for an original and the feelings you have about a sequel? Yeah, and I, I was bringing up Arthur too, which I, I do think holds that title from how good a movie is to how bad the sequel is. But this movie I don't think is as bad as Arthur 2 is, but I think Shining is so brilliant, a first movie, that the, the gap might be the widest. Yeah, even though I, I think Arthur's a perfect film. You're making me realize, movie. though, I, I, the thing I, with Mike Flanagan that I can't hate on is it seems to be he is genuinely making the thing. Uh, and I liked, oh, I should have said this from the beginning, that Ouija movie he did, Origin of Evil, I really liked. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, it just seems his taste, like what he likes to do, 
he's getting to do and it's finding an audience of people who like the stuff he does. Like as an artist, I'm kind of like, Hey, he's cool. He's doing his thing yeah. and people are, are, are following it. So like I say, I don't know that this is really on him. Maybe some of the style and pacing, but the, the uh, pouring a drink scene with Jack Torrance, I mm-hmm. think is one of the better moments mm-hmm. of this film. And that's his contribution and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What, uh, I, what did you like about that scene? Maybe we can, uh, uh, before we close the book on Dr. Sleep. Uh, I think it was just like, if you're going to do like an homage, it's not even an homage, it's just a mirror scene. But mm-hmm. I thought it was appropriate because because Jack was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and you know maybe the theme of the original novel is addiction, but I think the movie's theme is more about family, honestly. Mm-hmm. This is this they've you know it's been written that this is about recovery mm-hmm. and to mirror those scenes seem really appropriate mm-hmm. and to also see Danny be faced with the same basic like what's the reverse of a call to action like a call to <laughs> sin or something mm-hmm. and resist it was nice I yeah I, yeah and I thought it was just well acted and I thought actually I kind of liked Henry Thomas's performance even though. The voice, it's not clear exactly what's happening there. It was, amb- that felt oh, kind of Kubrickian in a way. Yeah, to me. and I'm like, glad he didn't go for a Jack No, Nicholson no, that would of be Of course, horrible. like, uh, and the, I love Henry Thomas. It's cool that he's in E.T. and then Haley Joel Osment is in A.I. and they're, that's a Stanley Kubrick thing. That's you're almost Spook, there. You're almost and there. And they see ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That was a perfectly constructed sentence. Well, I I think we should end on that unless you got anything else. Uh, well, yeah. So best death. Uh, oh, let me just give props to... Um, this was one of the actors who I said... Um, you know, where I was snotty uh, or where I was like, Oh, I like all the actors. I think they're good. And, uh, uh, it was the guy who plays, um, the hats, uh, side guy. Oh, uh, uh, Crow daddy, Zon McLaren. He was great. Yeah, he was good. And anytime he was on screen, I was like really happy because, um, like what he was bringing. It's cool. I don't like any of the deaths, honestly. Every single death was a CG mess. Oh, well, what made me think of that was his death uh, when he went through the van. Yeah. Because I was trying to think of deaths. Mm. Uh, uh... Maybe I'll say Billy just because that was a cool twist for her to go kill yourself. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him to die, and so that actually made me take a pause and go, oh, that was too Well, bad. it made me, when he died, I was like, oh. So it's this kind of movie where you'll sacrifice a character for like a a cool moment. Yeah. (laughs) So what's yours? Um, Yeah, I guess just since I liked that character when he got launched through the the windshield. Okay, Crow Daddy. That's a dumb name though. What are you going to give this movie? Then we'll read some Xenos and then we'll get into our yuppie two. I guess a three. R two three two. R two three 
R two two threes. Okay. Should we read some Zenos? I'm afraid to even look at the comments in the live screen because I, I think people are going to be like, Guys, you, do you assholes. Hate us? Do you hate us? Oh, they've all left. <laughs> oh my With God. middle finger emojis. There's just a bunch of emojis of a top hat. <laughs> oh, no. They love the hat. Oh, no. Oh, they t- oh they did take it. It looks like you guys took kind of an informal pool on what we were going to give it. And Dylan said, wow, higher than I thought. And Umar was right. Umar knew three. I should have given it a 2.37. Well, yeah, you guys were close. Let's read some zines. O's. Zenos. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Zone, Freddy Zenos. Okay. Oh, Taylor Byrne is an Iowan from Cedar Falls. Hey. Um, and he brought his, bought his wife a Californian, a baby Xenomorph subscription. Um, cool. Her name is Nicole, and they live in the Czech Republic. Wow. Hey, right on. That's awesome. Uh, Cedar Falls is a great town. I love it. From the Southern Lawyer, happy anniversary to Nicole E. Lee, not Robert E. Lee, E. Lee, who says, with Gawley and Russ podcast, always cheers her up as if she's Feeling down. Oh, that's a nice Your, notion. And case closed. <laughs> um, Sam Flaherty would like his name read as a free throw scripture. That's from Pistol Shrimps Radio. So praise be unto Sam Flaherty, who came down from the hill in a stepladder way with all sorts of drone shadows following him in an aerial shot. God be praised. <laughs> Southern Lawyer says, uh, Tracy Bloomkey. Uh, shout out to you, and uh, okay, I love you, Your Honor. <laughs> uh, so oh, it's me again, saying hello, Jamie Anderson. Jamie Anderson, you're out of order. Uh, hey, it's me, Watto, <laughs> Hooten the Bully, and Thomas Pasco. Ah, uh, you're gonna lose that Ooh, one. Thomas Pasco has a perfect name for. Uh... For uh, Watto. Pashko Watto. Um, a new no-no for Mitch Guerin. New no-no. Mitch Guerin is Mitch going places. New no-no. They're nice now, Mitch. <laughs> okay. Hello, Melanie Albergini. Uh, Lamborghini is my favorite pasta because it looks like the innards of a tapeworm as if the tapeworm was itself an innard. Bye. Um, oh, it's still me, Neil Castaneda Anderson. You have a hyphen in your name. And a high, Fenfen is my, Fenfen is my favorite high because it gets me sick and thin. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Hey, it's Irvin Kirshner, also Ray Romano doing Daddy Mammoth from Ice Age, oh, I've learned. close, yeah. Yes. A uh, Kirshner is a Romano uh, <laughs> at a different pitch. Shout out to Alan. All right, last one. Um, oh, I'm back. Uh, for Karen Block. Karen Blocks. That's right. My court-appointed assistant, Paul Russ, <laughs> says my names when I don't have enough time. <laughs> so thank you for that. 
if you want to have your name read out as a baby gazino morph, email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and also subscribe, of course, as a baby Zeno. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. There's more in the in the barrel. Now, for the moment, oh. we have all been awaiting for. But Paul, can I say, I haven't even figured it out fully. I have like, let me just tell you this. Yes. So what we're talking about is picking the movies for the yuppie nightmares. Yes. I, my short list, not even a short list. My list started off at about 60 films. Wow. I watched right 23 on. trailers. <sighs> Dude, you rule. To and- get it down to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. And so when, if people want to know what today we were, yesterday we were texting Hey, how many yuppie nightmares yeah. are we going to do? I was like, we could do six or eight. <laughs> you were like, buddy, we got to do eight because I'm having a hard time picking these. Yeah. And I said, I agree. Yeah. I'm glad it's eight. And we'll take uh, probably a, a week off in the middle there. Yes. But I know I've got two I want to do. I'm hoping you'll pick some of mine so that I don't I, have to make exactly. darling decisions, kill my darlings. Exactly. <sighs> Did you have any different criteria this time or or way you wanted to go about it? I know I haven't seen any of mine, I think. Oh. Not that I meant it to be that way, that just they were the ones I was interested in. I have one that I'm really wanting to watch that I haven't ever seen. Okay. Okay. Should we go first? Yeah, who wants to go first? And do we, I suggest we do this chronologically. We view them chronologically yes. like last time because your idea of how the tropes develop is, yes. and how they influence each other is so. I like key. that too. And do we want to do any twists on our picking or just we pick our four and it's nice and easy? Uh, no, if we want to veto, we can. That's cool because maybe then, you know, but uh, not that I'm planning okay. to. Yeah, me either. And and is a veto mean you get to replace it with one of yours, or the other person has to pick a second? What if then in that situation the person offers two to the next of their own to the person, and That's they great. that person picks of the two? That's perfect. Okay. Okay. I love it. All right. Whoo. Okay. All right. I'll go first. Okay. Um. I will choose doopy doos. <laughs> doopy doos. Um. This was uh, one, I'll say this one first, because I had previously mentioned that I wanted to do this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bad Influence. Yeah. 1989. That Curtis was on my Hansen. short list. Yeah. So I'm glad you chose all it. All right. All right. Okay. Bad Influence. Hey, guys, what do you think of that? What do you think of this? Live screamers. All right. Okay. Okay. You know what's so great about that is in the trailer, it has a shot of glass bricks. Oh my God. So it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Glass bricks will automatically, it could be a kid's family comedy, but if it has glass bricks in it, it's automatically a yuppie nightmare. Absolutely. Okay. My first pick is from 1993. Oh. <gasps> The temp. Yes, please. That's on my list too. It wasn't with my, you know, four that I'm negotiating here, but I am so stoked to watch the temp. Me too. I think I saw parts of it once, but it's pretty much forgotten. Yeah, I think maybe I saw parts of it. I just love that it's got Dwight Schultz who played Murdoch in the A team in it. That was part of what tipped it over. And uh, 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 Timothy uh, Hutton. Timothy Hutton and Lara Flynn Boyle Faye as, Dunaway. as the temp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Faye Dunaway, who's speaking of horror movies, when I went to Orphan, she was uh, seated next to me. Oh, well, that's what you told me yeah, when she was yeah. by herself. Yeah, right? and she was taking notes. Why do you think she was taking notes? She was going to adopt someone? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was that movie, the, the, yeah, the people in real life who tried to pull their own orphan scenario. She was taking notes to be like, if I wanted to pull a hoax like this, what would <laughs> I so, do? Well, I, great choice, The Temp and 1993 thriller. Oh, yeah. my God. Rest assured, all my picks are in the letterbox rating range of 2.6 to 2.8. No, there might be a three in there. Well, this is good, because for my second choice, yeah. uh, the temp might be something you'd hear in jargon speak and looking at the classifieds. We need a temp. We need a temp at this company. Uh, come up, Call here to get this job. Show up here for this interview. You might even flip the page over to the listings for apartments. Oh, I'm looking for a single, <gasps> single white, white female at SWF. Oh. And that's from 1992, the summer before the temp. So we might get a little nice uh, one-two punch of a uh, of, uh, uh, Bridget Fonda. Uh, why am Jennifer I? Jason Jennifer Lee. Jason Lee into a Lara Flynn Boyle. What year is Bad Influence? Is Bad Influence is 89, I okay. believe. All right. All right. Number four. Um, honestly, I was on the fence about this one until I watched the trailer and saw that there's a virtual reality <laughs> element to it. Thank you. There's a virtual reality element and I have no idea what the context of it is. It's 1994's Disclosure with Michael Douglas. You rule. And Demi Moore. Thank you. I was watching a Cisco and Ebert, you know, as I've been doing, you know, I've been obsessed with them. They reviewed Disclosure this morning when I was watching, oh. uh, Cisco and Ebert. And I, uh, when I was making lunch for Mary, I'll listen to some Scooter <laughs> reviews. And uh, uh, they were talking about disclosure, and I was like, "Ooh, it's on my list." But it's nice. Was uh, it on your short list or no? Okay, good. No, but I, it has a. Um, <laughs> it is on my short list that it has one heart. There's titles with no hearts. Yeah. Titles with a heart and titles with two hearts. And, and two it, hearts it was made. a one heart. How many two hearters do you got? Um, three. So okay. I'm going to do my third two harder okay. now. Yeah. Give me your, two, your <laughs> my third, third two harder now. <laughs> this is the happiest I've ever been. Now, this is, we're going back to Curtis Hansen uh, directed Bad Influence. Okay. Uh, the filmmaker Curtis Hansen. Yeah. He also did a thriller that I've never seen before, but I've always wanted to. The Bedroom Window from 1987. <gasps> With Steve Gutenberg? Yeah. That was on my short list. It didn't make my final list, but whoa. Good, 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 good. Um, I've heard really good things. Really? That it's kind of like a, a rear window Certainly. erotic thriller of its time. What so. year did you say? Um, uh, 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 that is 1987. Oh, okay. So that right now that's our first one. Damn, so I, I I only have one left. This okay. is like f figuring out, oh, I only have a day left at camp if I loved camp. I know. I don't want you to see my screen. I've got Yeah, I know. I was cheating the last three times. I want a real surprise this time. <sighs> I'm having a real... Oh. Existence dilemma. Oh, God. About which oh, titles? Geez. What do you guys think of these titles? Here, I'll read these while you look over, Matt. Okay. Um... Aaron Schweitzgard said, also haven't seen Disclosure. Yay. Actually, I haven't seen any of these so far, but those two are the ones I know of the most. Brian Jackson, my guesses were Bad Influence, After Hours, Something Wild, Vampire's Kiss, 
unlawful entry, SWF, malice, presumed innocent, frantic, and dead calm. Um, Umar is saying, come on, Cape Fear. Umar Dita, Dita, uh, sorry. Uh, Brian Jackson saying, another guess I got right. Um, okay. Okay. Um, Ooh, Lisa uh, Bidoff says they need to do the good son on the live stream. Uh, uh, okay. These are a lot of titles. I I'm moving noticed. us into the 2000s. Ooh, this is not, this Shanina! Is, this is not a pick I thought I'm, even in the 11th hour, I'm just going with my gut. It was it was behind some others, but I'm looking at my others and they're kind of similar. So I'm, I'm going to go 2002. One hour photo. Yeah, buddy. Cool. I've never seen it. I haven't either. All right. All right. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, um, Robin Williams as a, a perv. Yeah. As a weirdo. Yeah. That's good, man. And okay. he does it probably with some yuppies. He wants to be a part of their he life, does. right? Yeah, it's Michael Vartan and Connie Nielsen, I guess. Yeah. And the director, who's that? Mark Romanek? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, it, when I was in college, everybody had the music video director DVD sets. Do you remember that? It was like Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, Mark Romanek. Like they would all oh, have their yeah. own little. And you're like, oh, this huh. person likes cinema because <laughs> they have music video DVDs. Uh, so this is my last one. Oh, this makes me sick. Matt, Maddie, Matt. Okay, well, I will say that. Some of the titles they had mentioned were one harters. Yeah. Um, this is a one harder for you? No, a lot of the titles they mentioned, they, a lot of them were my one harders. Like the ones that the live oh, screen yeah. mentioned. Oh, I, I was like, ooh, they are saying. <sighs> okay, I'm just going to be real here, Matt, and lay out what I'm dealing with. Yeah, that's. I may do the same. Okay. My other one harters are. Unlawful entry. I have an idea. Rather than veto each other, mm -hmm. why don't we, on our last picks, help you uh, list four and I'll choose and I'll list four and you choose. Hey, cool. Or three or four. Uh, one, two, three, four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That works because I think I have. Oh, okay. Uh, unlawful entry. Dead Calm. Uh-huh. The Good Son. Uh-huh. And I mean, my, my two out of the box ones are American Psycho or After Hours in terms of like they're not exactly like definition, but they're just fun. A person is a yuppie and nightmarish things happen. Yeah. They're just not I have like more, the classic, oh, a comfortable yuppie is. Read those again. Yes. <laughs> Unlawful entry, dead calm, the good son, or I'm now doing American Psycho or After Hours. Okay. Oh, man. I'm going to choose what what are live screamers feeling? 
Dead calm. Um, somebody said American Psycho 2. Um, after Hours. Brian Jackson says After Hours is for sure a yuppie nightmare. That's the Griffin Dunn. Yeah, the Martin Scorsese Griffin Dunn. I just watched it last week, buddy. I've never seen it. I can't decide. It's if a nightmare comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn between here are my yes. short list yes. on that. I love it. It's uh, Unlawful Entry, which I've seen. That's the Ray Liotta one, mm-hmm. right? American Psycho and After Hours. Those are my choices. Gotcha. Okay. You know, it's either American Psycho, which I've seen, but a long time ago. I've never, I feel like I need to see After Hours. Let's go After Hours. Right on, man. That's okay. awesome. It is such a great movie. I've heard nothing but the best. What yeah. year is that? That is 1985. That'll be our first. Fun. Okay. Good. I love your choices. Unless one of my picks for yours from your four is I don't think that's before happen. 85. Yeah. Okay. Dream Lover. Do you know that movie? With, um, what's her name from... Uh, Majin Amik. Ye- Ye- okay, okay, okay. And James Spader. Uh-huh. I'll read you the description. Okay. If you think you know your lover, think again, especially if she's your wife. Not long after they cross paths at an art gallery, Ray Reardon, an architect, and hypnotically sensual Lena are married with children, only then does Ray catch his wife in escalating lies, which leads him to find out that Lena's past is invented and that she has been manipulating him ever since their first, quote, chance meeting. Okay, that's number one. Nice. Dream lover. Mm-hmm. Color of Night. Oh! 1994. Dream lover was 93. Color of Night. This is what cracks me up. Well, here's the tagline first. In the heat of desire, love can turn to deception. Nothing is what it seems when day turns into night. This stars Bruce Willis. And here's the description. A colorblind psychiatrist (laughs) is stalked by an unknown killer after taking over his murdered friend's therapy group and becomes embroiled in an intense affair with a mysterious woman who may be connected to the crime. Yes. Okay. Who directed that? Richard, uh, what's his name? Um, Richard Rush. Rush. He's good, it, but that movie uh, I heard is... Yeah, I think. Yeah, but it's erotic. It's steamy. Yeah. 1991, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, Shattered. Do you know this one? Oh, yes. I've always wanted to see it. Tom Berenger, Bob Hoskins, Greta Skaki, and someone I have always loved, Joanna Whaley. Yes. What's the availability of Shattered? Is it, uh, is it Apple, Amazon. Okay. 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 Dan Merrick comes out from a shattering car accident with amnesia. He finds that he is married to Judith, who is trying to help him start his life again. He keeps getting flashbacks about events and places that he can't remember. He meets pet shop owner and part-time private detective Gus Klein, who has supposedly done some work for him prior to the accident. Klein helps Merrick to find out more. Okay. 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 2006, Firewall. (laughs) I've seen it. <laughs> Nothing is more dangerous than a man with everything to lose. State-of-the-art security system creator Jack Stanfield has cemented his reputation as a man who's thought of everything. But when a criminal finds its way into Jack's personal life, everything Jack's holds dear is suddenly at stake. The movie that my dad and I saw together at the Chinese theater. Really? And when uh, Harrison Ford punched a guy and the guy went through the wall, my dad and I looked at each other like, Mm, yeah, don't that's think right. so. Yeah. Not buying that one. Yeah. Well, 
And then one more. Uh-huh. uh-huh. 1993, The Crush. He thought it was just a crush. He was dead wrong. A precocious and obsessive teenager develops a crush on a naive writer with harrowing consequences. Just to recap, Dream Lover, 1993, Color of Night, 1994, Shattered, 1991, Firewall, 2006, and The Crush, 93. Right now, for me, it's between Shattered and The Crush. Mm. And it's interesting because if you crush something, it could shatter. That's right. Uh The crush is appealing to me because I, I feel like we don't have a teenage story. Like, they're all um, grown-ups. And so just it'd be fun just to see a different type of story. I but actually, I've always wanted to see The, shat, shat, the Shattered. I, was, I had a couple of teenage ones in here, like Doppelganger with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> but I took them out because they were solely about young people, which I don't think of as yuppies because part of being a yuppie is being a successful yeah. careerist. Although this one has a yuppie in it, in the writer and Carrie Elwes. So I thought that yes, yeah, that yeah, allows yeah. it to come in, but you know, um, I think you, you pick your heart. I'm good with either one. Let's do shattered. Yeah. I'm, oh. I'm glad you chose. Okay. That yeah. Um, now, uh, for anybody who's like, I, I hear you with the yuppie nightmares, might not be capital H horror, uh-huh. especially coming into October with Halloween. Um, I want to speak to people who maybe feel like, oh, I wish you know uh, there was a scary, 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 scary horror movies we were watching during this scene. I'll say the one thing I, I like about yuppie nightmares. Um, is from my experience from talking to other people listening to the podcast, for people who aren't into horror movies, perhaps your partner or a friend who you enjoy watching movies with, some of them are just like, horror movies, not my thing, can't do it. What the Yuppie Nightmare offers, because there's, they, there's just people in such luxurious, comfortable situation, like... It's it's an easy thing to watch with a, a a partner who's not into horror movies, a friend, a family member, because they're not gross outs. Uh, they're suspenses. Yeah. And my 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 the the what I will argue for yuppie nightmares being a fun thing for this season is sometimes during Halloween you're hit with a glut of gross outs mm-hmm. and you go, Oh, I'm just watching these by myself or with my gross out friends. If you can think of this as we're carving a space for you to be able to celebrate getting scared and having a thriller suspense element with the people you love, perhaps that can be a thing we all share with Yuppie Nightmares this year. You sold me, and I actually don't think you need to sell this. Because I, I will say, too, just firsthand, this is these Yuppie seasons is one that my wife will watch with me, even though she loves horror movies. Mm-hmm. I know that we'll be spending, we don't have to separate at night when I have to watch one of these movies for the podcast. We will sit down together and both enjoy them. That makes me so happy. I adore these movies. I feel like I do better podcasting, yeah. you know, with these. I still uh-huh. want to do more slashers and we yeah. will. No, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, this is exciting here. Should we recap them? Yeah. So we'll begin with um, Please. 
1985's After Hours. Yeah, and with After Hours, since that's people are going to be watching this before we, we come back. So just, you know, for people who are going, oh, I've never seen After Hours, I'm going to watch it. Uh, for, um, uh, I guess this speaks to what I was just talking about. In terms of gross out or horror, it's not there. But if you watch this movie, see it as like, it's about the nightmare of everyday anxieties that are ramped up to a horror level mm-hmm. you can easily as somebody said on our live stream after hours is totally a yuppie nightmare okay so we'll start with after hours from 85 next up will be bedroom window from 87 Ooh. the steve gutenberg classic then bad influence from 89 Ooh, a double case of hansen mm-hmm. then shattered from 91 then single white female from 92 the Temp from 93, Disclosure from 94, and One Hour Photo from I love all of these, man. I can't like wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Let's figure out when we're coming back. We didn't yes. talk about that. So we'll be taking a break. Um, this episode we're recording will come out on Patreon on the 15th, free to the folks on the 22nd. Um, we usually like to take, you know... Yeah. Here's an idea. I'm not one to spitball this while we're live on mic, because what if we don't want to do it? But hmm. No, go for it. In the words of Rocky Five, go for it. Okay. Just to get both worlds satisfied. If we're done on the 15th, what if we come back? Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me do some math here. Yeah. What if we do come back Better than for doing a, some meth. Uh, well, I'll do that too. For a week in October and do like a proper slasher for just a one-off. Fun. And then we get started with the yuppies on like October 20th. So we take... Uh, I don't know. What, what's the good... It's 50, what if, if we come back... How about we come back on the 6th with a slasher? Yeah. And then we... Is that too... And is the 20th too late to come back with the yuppies? Or oh, we, yeah. No, yeah. How about we start at the 6th and then we, we start going into it? Yeah, I then, know. Let's then, do this. Let's do... How about the 29th with a slasher? And then we come back on the 13th with the yuppies. Fun! And what slasher should we do? Or proper traditional horror movie what's a good halloween oh a 29th first flasher you guys want to suggest some on the yeah fun 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 screaming i love that idea because like we can throw some out too there's like dracula francis Ford coppola's dracula that's right the exorcist the exorcist three psycho um oh oh, matt would this be too well we can look at the things here we could also put up a poll on the patreon if people want to vote for the scary thing we watch or uh, exorcist sounds good. I mean, I was just trying to think of what people theoretically, Oh, if there was a poll, what would people, yeah, let's, let's just do an informal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing psycho Two. uh, save exorcist. They say, say two Uh, for Dracula. I mean, the, the burning, uh, you know what, Fran- the the Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula feels like a perfect uh, way to kick off uh, the spooky season. It's an old, 
story, but it's... There's another vote for Dracula. Any other uh, titles? Uh, mm, the Burning. The Burning. I've seen The Burning. I've never seen The Burning. Dra- another vote for Dracula. Another vote for Dracula. What's... um. Dr. Giggles, Hellraiser, um, Dracula, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, right. The Changeling. Uh, something more recent, like a Hereditary, a Happy right. Death Day to You. Hereditary could have theoretically fit in the Yuppie Nightmares. I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine that happening to your little life. Yeah, <laughs> Wicker dinks. Man original, um, Malignant. Uh, the Ice Cream Man. Gremlins 2. Uh, Dracula. Uh... Well, I like Dracula. Uh, Let's do Dracula. And I've never seen it all you the haven't? way. No, no, oh, no, no. Okay. I watched it once at a sleepover. We got it halfway in. We we're like, this is boring. And then we shut it off. But okay. I was an idiot back then. And I'm in a bigger idiot now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it's official. We'll be back on the 29th with Dracula. This is if you're a Patreon subscriber. Yes. A week later, if you're not, and then on the 13th we'll start Yuppie Nightmares with After Hours. In the meantime, and you know what that 13th is? Friday the 13th. Oh my god, that's perfect. Yeah. In the meantime, we will have released by the time the Yuppie Nightmares season comes out. We will have released today as a mailbag episode for September. We'll do the Cozy Awards later this month. Then another mailbag in early September early October as well as the double Halloween 6 commentary yes. so it's a good time to be a Patreon mm-hmm. subscriber you'll see vidbits bonus content uh, all the Friday the 13th movies are up on there now by the way that's a nice way to spend Friday the 13th the Patreon is the only place now that you can get the full seasons of Friday the 13th Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street and Alien Whoa! all of them are that's, on there that's the only way you can do it so uh, join us there, and yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Uh, thank you for joining us for uh, Mining the Shining. We love you guys, and uh, it is like uh, so fun to be able to um, celebrate uh, movies we love and have experiences with all the live long day. Right on. Okay. Happy autumn. Bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, Head over to patreon.com slash with Whirly and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gourley and Rust. Email us at withgourleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gourley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Whirly, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gourley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.